0: Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. I'm not quite sure how many times we can say welcome and Merry Christmas and glad you're here without it feeling really redundant, uh, but it's a genuine sentiment on our part. And and so it's my privilege that as we open the scripture together to share some thoughts With all of us. And I'd like to kind of start with just a little review because I know that many of us haven't been here over the last several weeks. Uh, we've been looking at eternity as we approach Christmas. Christmas is not just a calendar event, nor is it, uh, just a cultural holiday. Really, Christmas is the historical event where God broke into history and broke wide open the door to eternity. And we spent these four weeks this being number four, uh, on a series that we've called Eternity in Our Hearts, as we recognize that God's made us to live with him forever, but sin broke that relationship and brought death into the world, and yet God invaded the world in the person of Jesus Christ to bring life and immortality to light through the gospel and to bring us back into a right relationship with him. He's provided a savior, his own son, Jesus Christ. And we celebrate at Christmas, not only that God came to earth as a human like us, born as a baby, but that Jesus died and rose again to secure our eternity with him forever. And so in the last three weeks, we started out three weeks back looking at how by looking to Jesus is how we find eternal life. We looked at what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, that we find eternal life and salvation by looking to Jesus in faith, not by acts or righteousness of our own. And then we compared in the second week what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he talks about the life in this body as compared to life in heaven with the Lord forever. And he talks about life in this body as living in a tent, And we said, Paul's comparing this life to a camping trip because our eternal house is in heaven. It's a building from God, not made by human hands, but life in this body, a lot like living in a tent, especially when it rains, is a camping trip. And what God intends for us is eternity. And it's Jesus who's gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us there. And then this past week, we just continued into the verses in Second Corinthians chapter 5 that just followed what we would looked at the previous week, where Paul says, therefore, we're always confident. And so we make it our goal to please him. That the result of knowing that we have an eternal destiny with the Lord in heaven means we can live here and now in our lives in confidence in Jesus. And this morning, we're going to turn our attention to First Corinthians chapter 15. It's a chapter where Paul does really a very eloquent discourse on resurrection. And brothers and sisters, resurrection changes everything. And so as we begin to crack open this, this letter and this chapter, I'd like to say, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for help, for revelation, to give us not just a moment, but genuinely a deep and fresh perspective that's going to make a difference, not just for an hour or two or even how we treat the relatives at Christmas time, uh, but that we can live in this hope day after day. Lord, we're asking you for that. How do we confess that mentally we get really distracted? So often the things that just grab our eyes are the things that grab our hearts. And Lord, we lift our eyes to look to you and to the reality that no matter what else is happening, your word says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who fall fallen asleep. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live that life here and now in Jesus name. Amen. Um, I do have a, a handout this week. We got the printer fixed. And if I could get some helpers to distribute this stack, that'd be a great help. Thanks, Joanna's grabbing those. And, and you can take these. These are suitable for framing uh, or, or perhaps more usably fridging. Uh, I don't know what you put on your fridge at home, uh, but they're meant to be not just a way to give you something to doodle on on the back for the next 20 minutes, um, but hopefully to be a reminder. And reminder is really the theme of the message today, because in First Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. In First Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you. I guess I, I kind of have a, I have mixed feelings about reminders. Because a lot of times uh, the reminders I get are being told things I'm supposed to know and supposed to be doing, but I'm not really. And so I like I kind of both welcome and resent it at the same time. I don't know if you get that. Uh, it's like when my kids tell me not to have that extra helping of dessert. Um, I have real mixed feelings about that. I know they intend my long-term good, but it sure feels like a short-term uh drawback there. And And Paul, he's in chapter 15 of a long letter. There's a lot of stuff that's gone from chapters 1 through 14. And we get to the beginning of chapter 15. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you. It's like... You could have done that like earlier on. And yet he's gotten to a climactic point in what he's trying to communicate to the believers in Corinth. He says, this is so important. I want to like flash the lights on your dashboard with this kind of strong introductory statement to get your attention all over again. Isn't that true? It's like for many of us, the weeks of the year where we go to church week after week, they can feel like chapters one through 14, where there's always something more that we're hearing about the way we're supposed to do it. And it's a fitting moment in our year, in our lives together, to have the Lord through Paul say, can I have your attention? I want to remind you of something that's fundamentally important. And here's what Paul says. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. It's not just one thing among many for us. It's not just Yep, here we go. Here we are again. He says, this matters. It's first importance. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Are you ready? Do you have it? Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared. Four things we're going to take a closer look at in a minute. What I received from the Lord, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time most of whom are still living, but some of whom have fallen asleep, which is a euphemism for what? They're dead. Most of them are still alive. Some have passed away. And then he says, verse seven, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. And that phrase, abnormally born, it's just Paul's way of saying Happen later, and don't really count me in the same category as all of these guys. It's an exercise of humility on his part. He's not talking about any particular weirdness uh, about his birth. Um, you can see in verses nine through eleven contextually that's what he's talking about. And so this is an apostolic reminder. And guys, not all reminders are equally valuable. Like, like I, got, I once got this email. Uh You know, saw this. So it wasn't to me. And okay, what time? Did, when does the 4th of July occur every year? Oh yeah, it's on July 4th. And some reminders are just not that useful, right? But this one that Paul brings, next slide, this one that Paul brings is especially valuable. This is the Apostle Paul cutting through all the clutter of life, of the business of church and family and work and challenges, how we honor God in everything. And saying, brothers and sisters, keep your eyes on this. Why remind us, though, about the good news about Jesus' resurrection? And that's surely so basic, right? That we almost, ah, oh, maybe that's the reason. I was going to say because we, that we almost take it for granted. I think that's the very reason that Paul feels like it's so important to bring the clarity of this reminder. Because his reminder here is it's so important. It's because it's so important that we never lose sight of what Jesus has done for us. You know, most of the reminders we get are for us to have to do something. But Paul's reminder is to make sure we don't forget what God has done for us. And as Paul brings this reminder, his goal is that we would hold firmly to the truths of the good news about Jesus Christ. That we would hold firmly for us, faith is not a passive belief. It is our anchor to the other side of a curtain in heaven where God dwells. And we hold firmly to these things. And so Paul begins this chapter with this exhortation about the gospel. And then he goes through the chapter and he unpacks the implications and the results of believing in this good news. He actually looks at what happens if we lose our grip on the firmness of this good news. And as he does, let me jump to verse 58 because it's the conclusion of the chapter. And as he gets there, we see, take a look. You can see he expects that the result of this reminder will be that you and I are strengthened in our confidence that it's always worth it to give ourselves to serving the Lord. He says, therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I want us to take this to heart. You know where our confidence comes from that it's really worth it to serve the Lord? There's things that I know you're doing week by week, month by month that are sacrificial. And you know what? Sometimes we get to see with our eyes The kind of encouraging results and fruit that tell us, oh yeah, it's making a difference somewhere. Oh yeah, praise God. This, you know, the way I'm serving my family, the things I'm doing with other folks at work, the money that we're giving. Okay. I can see that it makes a difference, but our confidence that it's worth it and not wasted doesn't actually come from what we get to see with our eyes. It comes from this reality that Jesus is risen from the dead. It's not the evidence that we get to see that secures our hope. It's that Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, all of your service to the Lord and things that we sacrifice and do, ways that we care for people and they may or may not even appreciate it, is not in vain. Not because we get to see the effects of it, but because Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. And so let's take a look here back in uh, verses Oops, flipped the wrong page. Back in verse three and following. These four things that Paul says. Really, they're two pairs rather than four different things. He says, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. What's the first thing? Christ died for our sins. You know, I'm glad Jesus did not merely die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Throughout history, Well, everyone has died, except for a few of us who are still here. But Christ died for our sins, a purposeful death to accomplish the promise of God. Christ died for our sins, meaning he died in my place. He died in your place. He took on himself the sins that I have done. and He hadn't done any sins, but he died for my sins. He died for your sins, Steve. He died for each of us. For our sins. What's the second piece? I'm sorry? Second bullet point. That he was, that he was buried. And these actually link up together. We'll see it next. The third one is that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures in number four. That he appeared. These are two pairs. That he was buried and that he appeared Are the evidence that he died and that he rose again. That Christ died for our sins and we know this really happened because he was buried. And he raised, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and we know that this happens because he appeared. There's two core pieces that Paul's getting at and then he gives two evidential proofs that they really happen. And the cue as you're reading the text, that these are the theologically critical pieces are, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. Christ died for our sins, how? According to the scriptures. He he was raised again, how? According to the scriptures. How do I know that happened? Because he was buried. How do I know that he really was raised again? Because he appeared. So there's a rhythm in what Paul is writing and he's reminding them and he's driving home that this was a historical reality. He says that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And after that, there's 500 others he appeared to. And if you don't want to just take my word for it, know that most of them are still alive. I'm not making it up. And then he appeared to James, meaning the, the Lord's brother, and then to all the apostles, evidently not just 12. And last of all, he even appeared to me also. Part of why the gospel is so important to us is that these historical events are the foundation of our confidence of resurrection and eternal life. The center of this chapter, the the verses that are in between the beginning and the end that I read to you earlier, Paul unpacks the resurrection and how it anchors our hope firmly in heaven. I want it to be clear for us here as a church that the gospel must remain of first importance to us as families and as a community together. What we call Mercy Hill is a community where the gospel must remain first importance to us. That means that when we get together, the gospel is the centerpiece of our table. And whether that's metaphorically speaking, when we gather on a Sunday morning or in life share groups, or when we're sitting down for a meal together, that it's the good news that Christ died for our sins, and rose again according to the scriptures. That's the centerpiece of our life, our hope. It's the heartbeat of our fellowship. It's the priority of our ministry. It's the motive of our mission. Uh, That does mean that our top priority is not a political agenda. It does mean that it's not even our own personal well-being. It means that blessing or prosperity is not the center. It's the good news about Jesus Christ, not our own blessing. That's the centerpiece. Now, we're not indifferent to other issues, to behavior, what's right and what's wrong, what pleases God, but it means that every other agenda is secondary to this good news, that Christ died for our sins. He was raised again, according to the scriptures, and he appeared, and he's continuing to appear, even in our own lives, to demonstrate that he is alive. It means that neither our causes nor our own desires for blessing are first importance. Jesus is. The gospel never becomes of secondary importance. Sometimes it can get clouded, crowded out, obscured by the busyness of our lives and by other things we focus on. But Paul comes with this reminder. I think the Holy Spirit wants to come to us with this reminder so that it remains first importance in our thinking in our planning, in our dreaming, in our desiring, in our relating, in our interacting together. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. He's alive. And resurrection, brothers and sisters, changes everything. Jesus is alive. See, what Jesus has done defines who we are and what we do so it matters the question that paul is asking and answering through this chapter is well what if what if it isn't true what happens then and are we able to know and be confident that it is you see if the gospel isn't true then our faith is worse than useless without the gospel this stuff is just some kind of sick joke and and paul picks that up in verses 17 through 19 if you take a look in your bible here paul says that if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile because you're still in your sins. And then those who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. I mean, those believers who've already died, loved ones in many cases that we've had funerals for this year, they haven't gone anywhere. They're lost. And 19, verse 19, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ. I mean, if there's all this stuff about Jesus and believing that he's alive, if it's only for this life here and now, then we above all people are most to be pitied because we're laying our lives down and sacrificing for something that ain't real. That's Paul's perspective on it. Paul would strongly disagree with some of the kind of modern teachers and philosophy of these days who say that all religions basically teach the same thing. Um, And that, you know, if we just are good to other people and we live a moral life, that that's what it's supposed to be about. See, there's an approach to religion that says it's really the teachings of the religion's founder that are the most important thing, not actually the historical events or their lives themselves or that person. And so if you apply that to Christianity, then people would say it's really Jesus's teachings that matter. Things like the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying that that's what Christianity is supposed to be all about, just to make sure that we live good lives here and now. And so they say the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' parables, they're a helpful guideline for living. But that perspective, that kind of teaching, would not say that Jesus was really God, come in the flesh to die for our sins according to the Scriptures, to be raised again according to the Scriptures, so that through faith in Him, we would live again. Because if that piece isn't true, brothers and sisters, why are you doing this? What's it all for? What's the point? Do you know why the facts of the gospel have to remain of first importance for us? Why the reality of Jesus's death and resurrection have to be first importance for us? It matters so much that there's historical death of Jesus Christ on the cross and historical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, at an empty tomb. It's why Paul takes such pains to provide the evidence in his description to say, and Jesus appeared to Peter and to the 12 and to 500 others and to James and all the apostles and even to me. It matters because of this. It matters because the gospel is not a call to come and live a better life. It matters because the gospel is not a call to come and enjoy life more. Here and now the call of the gospel is not for us to find more meaning or more purpose or better relationships. The gospel is a call for us to come and die. The good news about Jesus Christ is that you and I come and we die with him and we lay all of our dreams and all of our goals and all of our ambitions at the foot of the cross. We say, Lord, take my life. I want to follow you. And then we rise again just as he did. It's a call to die to ourselves and to live for Jesus. And so authentic Christianity depends entirely on the reality of Christ dying for our sins and rising again to secure our resurrection. Because otherwise, it's a huge fraud for us to lay down our lives for Jesus who isn't alive. It's my heart cried that you know this Jesus, that you know him alive today in your life. And we don't get to really enjoy that or experience that if we're just going through the motions. If we ourselves haven't come and found that the core of our faith is what Paul's describing here as being of first importance, that Christ died for my sins, not just generically for sins in general, but for mine, and that he appeared as well. Because if only for this life we have hope in Christ, just go ahead and pity all of us who believe a lie. But Paul's answer to the question of whether we can be sure, Paul's answer to the question of whether we can know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain, that we can know whether Jesus is really alive and whether it's worth it for us to lay our lives down to honor him and follow him and serve him, Paul's answer is absolutely yes, And that's what he says in what's the next verse. I know it's hard to keep track of where I'm tracking through this chapter, but I read verses 17 through 19. Verse 19 is where Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we of all men are most to be pitied. Next verse, Paul's answer to that issue is this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Because Christ is raised, we will be raised through faith in him. His appearings still matter. Now, Paul says he was raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared, he appeared to Peter and he appeared to the 12 and he appeared to these 500 other people. Most of them were still alive. They're dead now, but most of them was still alive. And then he, he came personally again. To James, the brother of Jesus, who hadn't believed and followed him while Jesus was alive. And Jesus went to his own family member after his resurrection and showed him that he was alive. And then after that was done and he had kind of closed the book on those appearances and ascended back to heaven, Paul says, he showed up to me, too. And I remember when I was in high school. Uh, an arrogant know-it-all teenager, which, you know, maybe that all goes together, doesn't it? Uh, but, um, you know, I didn't have a bodily visitation from the Lord. I think Paul sort of implies by saying last of all um, that we shouldn't hold the Lord to expecting that. There's a sense in which Jesus broke in on my know-it-all arrogant intellectual brain and helped me realize that he's really alive. Help me see in the scriptures that he's really come. He died and he rose again. And I bowed my knees as a teenager and I said, I got to follow you. Has Jesus broken into your life in a way that you can say with Paul? But Sorry, it's a verse I haven't read here. Uh, it's just up up in verse 10. Paul says that his grace to me was not without effect. Have you felt the effect of the grace of God in your life? Maybe it was quite a few years ago. You could look and say, I know I experienced the grace of God. It's had effects in my life. We bring the gospel back to being first importance. We're opening the door in a fresh way for that grace to continue to affect our lives and our hearts day after day after day. I want to conclude with two results of Jesus appearing that happened in our lives. When Jesus appears in a way that brings light into our lives, two things happen. One is a leaving and one is a following. There's a leaving that happened to Paul, that happens to us, that we leave behind a kind of life that's failing to honor the Lord, that's just living for ourselves, setting our own agenda, doing things our own way. We leave behind rebellion and autonomy and we leave putting our own wills ahead of God's will. But with that also comes a following. When we see that Jesus is alive, we turn to surrender ourselves to Jesus as Lord and begin humbly following him to receive his transforming grace and live in newness of life. And here, here is our confidence that because Jesus died and rose again, that all the things we've looked at over these last weeks, the things that sometimes we wonder and worry about, but whether our life is worth it and what happens next, it finds its answer in this reality. Christ is indeed raised from the dead. And because Jesus is alive, we know that we too will appear with him in glory. Jesus defeated death. And I love the way that Paul says it here in, in verse 57. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to commend this chapter to you for this week. Uh, If you're receiving the daily devotionals that we've been sending, we'll walk our way through this chapter section by section throughout this week. So take the notes, but dig into this chapter and bring the gospel to first importance in your attention, in your priority, in your decisions. We're going to be sharing communion together as we close. And this is a tangible way thank you, Mike. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Uh, guys are going to just go ahead and start passing the trays and the baskets for us. I'm going to keep talking at you for a couple moments. Musicians are moving. Uh, but focus in on this reality. Communion is one of the moments where we remind ourselves and we ensure that the gospel remains of first importance to us. Uh, you know, sort of on the every Sunday rhythm that we do it here, it's kind of easy to think, okay, well, this is the moment that signifies that we're getting to the conclusion of the service and my brain can now start thinking about lunch and the next things we need to do and getting over to my in-law's house when actually it's the moment where above and beyond all other things, it's a great opportunity for us to draw near to the grace of God. So I'd like to encourage us, invite us, not just this one time, but as a habit as we take communion to let this be the moment where you reaffirm the first importance of this gospel in your life. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we know you've made us to care about many, many things. Lord, the diversity of loves and desires and burdens that we feel have come from you. And Lord, we thank you that you managed to be Lord over all of that. Lord, we, we also admit that caring about these many things and their value really can often distract us from seeing you and remembering you in it. God, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters right now, God, that in all of the ways that we worry, that we're troubled, we're concerned for many things, Lord, I pray that your gospel would break in in a rich way. Lord Jesus, I pray that, Lord, where there's cancer, Lord, you bring healing and you bring hope again, God. Lord, where there's broken relationships and challenges of being with family this week, Lord, that your grace would come and cover and heal that. Lord, I pray that you'd make each person here, God, ones downstairs as well as those of us who are upstairs, instruments of your peace this week, instruments of your blessing, God, instruments of hope, and that the reality of resurrection would shine through us, Lord Jesus. Because Jesus, we thank you Today, just now. Lord, that you did die for our sins. That you were raised again. You've secured our hope. Thank you in Jesus' name.